0: Whilst we're on our summer break, I've used this opportunity to delve into the archives and revisit some of my favourite conversations, so I'm thrilled that this week it is my wonderful friend Fern. I only met her a couple of years ago, and this podcast record was in fact the very start of our friendship, cups of tea in hand and on my sofa. I admire her very much. I think she speaks with such honesty about so many of the issues we women face, but might not perhaps always share. If you have teenage daughters, I'd also urge you to get them to listen to this episode as she talks brilliantly about the pressures our young face, social media, and navigating self worth in a world that is so focused on perfection. I do hope you enjoy it. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table. And since then, I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses, and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom, and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favorite small businesses, entrepreneurs, and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi, Fern. We're all such fun fangirls at Holly & Co, along with the rest of the country. So this is such a treat for me. I have admired your career for such a long time, but especially now with the brand and business you're building around happiness. But first I just wanted to start this podcast by asking you a little about your backstory. I read that your father was a sign writer and your mother worked in alternative therapy. Would you say this is where you gained your strong work ethic from?
1: Well, all my work ethic is from my parents. My dad uh, only semi-retired a couple of weeks ago, so he's been a oh, sign really? writer since he was 15. So he started out doing all the beautiful, you know, handwritten signs, and he would do all the big Wembley Stadium signs for when the concerts were on. Then things changed down the line, so now it's much more sort of print out on computer stuff. But he was still, you know, digging the holes to put the signs in up until a couple of weeks ago, and he's now still sort of, he's doing more bespoke sort of commission stuff now but he he could never not work he loves what he does so I always saw him doing something he was very passionate about which I think probably by osmosis has sort of Mm -hmm. seeped in yeah Uh, it's been written that my mum was uh, an alternative therapist which she was not but she will love that that was written about her it's been in the press for years but no she's always had a an interest in alternative therapies. And I've always sort of like done Reiki and meditation since I was really young, but she was so hardworking when I was growing up she had about four jobs at the same time. So she was delivering goods for next. She was a cleaner to our neighbours. She was an orthodontist nurse. I mean, it was relentless just to sort of keep our family afloat. We didn't have a fancy lifestyle in the slightest. We went to a state school, but you know, just so we had a nice life and we would, you know, got to go on the odd holiday to France or go camping. Both my parents worked insanely hard. And As a child, I didn't recognise this and think, God, they work hard. But obviously now at this point in life, I can look back and recognise what they put into that crazy sort of family dynamic they were running. Also married with the fact that I saw my dad doing something that he really, really loved. Mm. That I think Because, you know, he still loves doing it now at 66. And that has definitely,
0: you know, made its mark on me for sure. And you began working at 15 after mm. winning a competition to become a TV presenter. What was that experience like? And did you enjoy starting work from such a young age?
1: I did. I was never academic school was fine you know I loved my friends and I enjoyed bits of it but I didn't feel like I'm desperate to go to university this is what I want to study I felt quite lost in that way But I'd always gone to um, an out-of-school dance and drama club, which was just my everything. I loved my gang there, I loved every lesson that I did. I just felt like that's where I belonged. So I used to audition for any old thing, you know, adverts, theatre shows. So I did lots of little local theatre productions and stuff like that. And I just knew that's what I wanted to do. And I was told by everybody, not my family, but, you know, at school, teachers, career advisors, that it was a silly idea and a silly dream to have, and that I should fill out a form which would then tell me that I should go and work with children or whatever would come out, go and be a teacher or whatever. But I was always, I guess, naively optimistic and thought, no, no, I'm going to keep on trying for this one, thanks. So yeah, went to another audition and weirdly it ended up being this sort of on TV competition, which I didn't really understand at the time because that that concept hadn't really yeah. been on TV before. Yeah. This is pre-X Factor, pre-all of those shows. So I ended up passing all these auditions and then got to the on TV bit where there was three of us and somehow ended up getting the job, which was so, so shocking at the time. Like I had no idea what was going on, couldn't believe it, but I thought... Right, I am in now. My foot is in the showbiz door. I need to stay in it. So although I had a huge lump of luck on that day, mm-hmm. I instantly was in you hard work it. mode. Oh no, I was like, I'm not cocking this up. There's no way. I, I've got so much to lose. You know, I wasn't gonna like fall back on my parents sorting my life out for me or or a mm-hmm. university degree. I was 15. I had to seriously go for it. So I was quite studious about it. And that was my university in a sense. I mm. I watched everyone like a hawk around me and what they were doing and how it all worked. And I was obsessed. It wasn't like hard work. Oh, this is such a slog. But because I was obsessed. So mm. I wanted to mm. know everything mm. I could
0: possibly learn. So did you carry on schooling at the same
1: time? Yeah, I sort of juggled it. I was doing my GCSEs that year. So I missed oh my quite a lot of school. I, I was sort of tutored a little bit on set but probably not if it was today it would be so strict but back then they were like yeah I think you're doing okay it's gonna be fine and then I even missed two GCSEs because I was filming and nobody bothered to sort of hassle me or my parents to reschedule them so I just didn't do them so it was all a bit 90s and weird then I did one a level because it's all I had time to do because at that point I was doing about three tv shows so oh, I did goodness. one a level in art and I kind of did it because I wasn't ready to just to be an adult straight away yeah. at 16 yeah. so I thought I better stay at school so it was really busy and i didn't really go out much. I didn't really want to. Again, it wasn't a sacrifice. I just loved what I was doing so much. Um, and I worked really long days and I, and I worked hard, but I just loved every single minute of it. Gosh, it's interesting,
0: isn't it? Because looking back, it's a very entrepreneurial thing that you did. You took an opportunity, you took the risk and you worked bloody hard. Mm. And you probably didn't think of it at the time because we didn't use the word entrepreneur so much, but it was really entrepreneurial. I say this as another one of our missions is to help encourage entrepreneurship in our kids and our teens as they're feeling such pressure to do well in exams mm. follow the conventional path but the future will be so different everyone in the future will have to be an entrepreneur in some way so we should teach our children our young children and help them turn their passions into business or look at that what you did look at that um sort of like you were drawn to it weren't you yeah. like a magnet yeah. and actually that has become your career so the crazy ideas that they have when they're young aren't necessarily so crazy at all and I
1: recognize it in my own kids now you know my son who's six and a half you get school reports back saying this is what they're good at and this is what they're not so good at and it can make panic ensue a little bit like oh my god should they be better at reading or maths or whatever but I keep remembering that whatever they're going to end up doing, they will do anyway. It doesn't matter if they get the best grades, go to the best university, whatever they are here to do, they will find a way of doing it. So it's given me a little bit more confidence in parenting in that way, that I haven't got to panic and be, you know, really authoritarian about everything to do with schooling. I can let them find their feet a little bit. So I'm I'm glad that I've kind of got that hindsight. I can look back at my own youth and sort of see how I made the best of what I had and that
0: now, all kids will do the same. Joe Malone talked about the diamond within them and you've got to find the diamond and shine the diamond mm. and that we're all blessed with a diamond. Like you found your diamond and over time it's been shone and it's been chipped up, but you've scrubbed it clean and mm. you've shone even more. And now your children must look at you in that way or you have to, I know I have to as well, remind yourself. I just got a text this morning. Harry's just been moved down to the bottom set of maths. Okay, so I'm trying to not freak You're out in about. It. You're I'm, in the I'm thick trying bit. to not freak out this morning yeah. about it because he did so well in his other exams. Yeah, and actually, if I look at what I did, um, got an E in business studies. Brilliant. So. So actually, your grades don't define you, they just and I was don't. I was creative, yeah. and so that I actually now look back at the dots, and you can see if you connect yeah. them that that's what it is, and that we should have that confidence as parents totally. to go, don't worry, yeah. they're going to be in the bottom set for math, they're going to scrape a C, but he doesn't want to be a mathematician.
1: No, why have they got to be good at everything? Why have they got to be good at ten subjects? You know, adults aren't good at ten things. Adults are usually good at one thing at best. Why have kids got to be? brilliant at 10 things or more. Sometimes kids are doing like 13, 14 GCSEs. Why have they got to be good at that many things? It's bonkers. Why don't you really focus on the two, three things you know that naturally have ease about them? Because it's all got to have ease. There's no Mm. point banging your head against the wall, feeling like everything's an uphill struggle. There's got to be ease. And although you've built this incredible business and company and and all the beautiful stuff that you've created. I'm sure there were bits that felt hard, but actually I'm sure a lot of it to you felt like it came with ease because it was what you were meant to be doing. And I think if you find that thing and it could be something completely random and off the spectrum for what we're meant to be looking at on the curriculum, go with it, go with that. It doesn't matter if your school's telling you that's not what you should focus on or anyone else. You've got to find that thing that, that you feel happens
0: quite naturally and organically. And what will be your gift to the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, isn't it? So totally. So it's that, you know, when building Not On The High Street, for sure, you know, there were areas, of course, you know, you get put into these positions as founders and we'll talk about the imposter syndrome in a moment, mm. but you somehow feel, you know, somehow the Harvardness should be in me. Well, yeah. no, that wasn't my path. No. So I'm going to be phenomenal at these bits, but I'm not going to be so great at those bits. And it's the owning up to that and yes. owning those parts and it's what we should really be telling our young, yeah. you know, as I say to Harry, you know, you're not going to be a scientist, my darling, yeah? or a physicist. I can't even say it, um, and that means that's that's why you can't do it. Um, and you're not going to be a mathematician, but you know your love for business, your love for history, yeah. your love for the, well, that's then maybe your that's your thing. That's your gig. That's Absolutely. why you're going to be amazing at it. Absolutely. And I think it maybe is coming through because all these A stars that aren't enough, or you've got to go to university. You've got to get three A-stars in a hey, levels. I've got friends
1: who went to uni and got the best degrees and it took them 10 years to find a job afterwards because they didn't know what they wanted to do. There were loads of other people with 10, you know, loads of A-stars and university degrees who are also fighting for those jobs so it doesn't set anything in stone you still have to then find your thing anyway and work hard so you've got to do it your way maybe it is university but also maybe it isn't and I think Mm. you you have to trust your gut on that one and Mm. go with what feels right to you and equally I've got friends that didn't go to uni
0: that have jobs they adore that they're excelling at so Mm. you've got to do it your own way. So then your career continued to take off into the stratosphere, presenting Top of the Pops, Comic Relief, various programmes for the BBC, becoming the first female presenter of the Radio 1 chart show. So complete girl power. But it was in 2017 that your life went on to a new trajectory. And I think it's when people really stopped and took this huge interest in what you were doing because you decided to leave Radio 1 and you released your first book called Happy when you spoke about your struggles with depression and how you found your happiness, which was such a big decision leaving one of the most renowned radio spots to go down another path, a scarier path, where I'm sure you felt very vulnerable, especially being in the spotlight and wanting people wanting you to fail, no doubt, and at the time where people didn't really talk about mental health. Um, and it was more of a stigma and I remember being so in awe of you and your bravery and your decision to go against the norm especially when we live in such a shiny world where money is made from pretty much being perfect so I'd love to talk to you about this was it scary and what pushed you to take that leap of faith and change your career path sort of overnight
1: yeah I mean it was my main thing is a kind of inherent risk-taking quality that I have and again I don't know which parent I got this from or ancestor but I cannot sit in that comfort for too long of anything I want to always um, push myself feel a bit scared and experience change I, I I, never feel more alive than when I'm going through great change as terrifying it is that doesn't mitigate the fear because it's there it's real yeah but I love it. And I've had it twice with leaving Radio One and Celebrity Juice. Everybody around me has gone, why? I don't get it. Why are you leaving? You know, I didn't leave either on bad terms with anyone or for any reason other than I just felt like jumping. I just thought, why not? Why not see what happens next? And, you know, I'm so glad I did. I look back at especially Radio 1, is this beautiful decade that I had there interviewing everyone I could have ever dreamed of meeting and learned so much about the, the craft and skill of radio, which I've now taken on to Radio 2. But I needed a switch up and I had, mm. you know, I was about to have my second kid, so I knew I wanted a, something, a different structure to my life anyway. But I had zero plans. And I mean that. From the bottom of my heart, there was absolutely a blank future ahead of me I had no idea I was going to write happy I had no idea I'd end up doing a podcast or any of this stuff I just was starting over which I think you have to do I think if you're if you're leaving something and you've got grand plans already set in place that's rockier ground to me because you've got expectations I had none I just thought I don't know what the hell I'm going to do next so let's let's just clean everything out and and have some clarity which you can't have if you've already got plans mm-hmm. have a little bit of clarity and then see what happens next and feel shit scared for a bit so then all this stuff accidentally happens so I'd been chatting to my publisher who'd done my cookbook about what I might do next and she'd said oh do you want to do something about well-being I know you're really into doing stuff in that world and I said well yes I could write about that or I could really write about it, and I and I could say all the stuff that I don't even talk to my mum about, and she was like, "Well, let's see how safe you feel in that space, and go for it." So I ended up Gosh. writing the book, and then I didn't know all this stuff was going to happen. You know, I'm much more, you know, into the planning, and it's all sort of much more considered now because I I've, I see the reaction to things, and I and I know what's sort of working and what's not. But back then, I had no idea at all but it's been liberating because I'm now just me rather than TV me
0: oh I think it was probably such a sliding doors moment for you it's Mm. when your business and brand without you really realizing it took shape we call it at Holly & Co. when you take your passions and you find your purpose, which becomes the beating heart of your business. And we call it your brand heart. Mm. From the outside looking in, yours was made up from this strong purpose to spread happiness combined with your passion for creativity and wellness. And then once you have your brand heart, it's completely unique to you. It's your USP and it can't be copied. It's your DNA born from you. It's authentic and it will have longevity. And I always advise businesses to do that, to try and create their own brand heart. Imagine it pumping inside the business's body Mm. and nothing else can ever touch it if you really understand what it is, which is exactly what you did. You wrote Happy, but you've now got Happy, Calm and Quiet as your books and you have your podcast, Happy Place, which aims to bring good, simple happiness to your every day. And it's now one of the most listened to podcasts. And The Happy Place is now a brand in itself with a festival launching later this year. What was the journey? So you you, you just mentioned that startup part, mm. but what was the journey like from almost becoming now a brand and a business? Yeah, Because yeah. you hadn't had that before. You with the personality and the presenter, yeah. the celebrity, but- Now you were building a brand in a business Mm. that was coming from you.
1: Yeah, I think there was sort of a definite moment where I understood that switch because there was that sense of liberation after I'd written the first book. And that's when I realised, oh, I can do stuff on my own now. I don't have to wait for a TV channel, a radio station or whatever to say, oh, you're good enough to work for us now, come over here. Because that's a horrible game to play that I played for 20 years. And it's soul destroying at times. It can be brilliant, but it can also be really soul destroying. So once I sort of understood the autonomy I could have, if I was just doing stuff that I cared about rather than, a TV or production company saying, we care about this, will you come and present it for us? Because it was stuff I cared about, but other people were reacting well, I saw it was was empowering to me. I was like, okay, I can do my own thing without having to wait around to feel good enough. And then something you said a moment ago sparked a thought. When you were saying you've got to realise you know, if you're not good at maths, if you're not good at science, you can park that and look at what you are good at. The other important thing in that process is then finding other people that are really good to do the bits you can't do. Agreed. And team building. And that was a huge moment for me, getting a team around me that could do all the bits that I wasn't good at, which is the forward planning, which is the insight into where we could take it next. You know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm amazing at all of that, because I'm not. I am massively creative. And that's the other thing that I understood in that moment. If I have my own brand and my own company running and my own projects, I can be creative all day, every day. Mm. And that's all I've ever wanted to do.
0: Blessing. But yeah.
1: I couldn't before, because I would have yeah. to wait till someone said, come into this space, and then can you do your thing here? And I'd go, okay, there's a little room for me to be creative here. Whereas now... All day long, I can sit, I can brainstorm, I can work on projects that people have sparked ideas for. It's just endless and I've never felt so happy in the working capacity because of that. So it all, all the pieces started to fit together and it all started to make sense after I had those realisations really and now I've got this incredible team and we meet once a month and go through a plan of every project that we're working on, all the different elements of of those projects and where we want to go next with it. So there's much more pre-planning now and all these brilliant brains that work in the digital arm of the company or the brand element that are you know where we do all the collaborations or the events team and and together that feels like a really beautiful unified force with lots of minds who all have the same not end goal but the same mission to to create a bit of joy to spark a bit of joy in as many ways as we possibly can that's that's everyone's aim and if it wasn't it would go to shit it can't be about anything other than what would create a little bit of joy over here or a little bit of solace over
0: there? It's those sorts of moments that we're trying to create. Just, I know I've said this to you before, but I just, I really think you're so building something really, really beautiful. I, I, think, have so. to, I, I think the future of business is like with people within yourselves. It's going to become, you know, your KPI, your mission is to create joy. Mm. When on earth could anyone have said that 10, 20 years ago. Mm, and boy do, do we, we need it
1: right now. Yeah, and and <laughs> we need a don't bit of joy. We? we
0: don't we? And yeah. it reminds, you know, Holly and Co.'s mission to help everybody start a business doing what they love. There's there's not a sort of, you know, and make twenty million pounds at the same time. Yes. We've got to make money to live, but actually the goal It can't be the incentive. It no, it's no, it's the why that we've got really right here. In and and actually we're gonna hopefully do something Good in the world. Well, also, we wouldn't be sat doing a bloody podcast if it was about money. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Uh, I no spent way. my whole
1: life doing podcasts. I'm not making any money out of it. I'm doing it because I absolutely love making podcasts, yeah. talking to interesting people, yeah. and then allowing these interesting people that I've bumped into along the way use their voice to help other people. Yeah. That's my mission. I'm not doing yeah. it for any other reason. Yeah. I love doing that podcast, it brings me the most amount of joy and hopefully in turn
0: will do the same for others. Absolutely, and it does. and yeah, it does. I hope so. I've heard countless times actually, and I was at a uh, do last night where a dear business who is using her business to channel the pain she's in personally right now into building her business. The business is saving her life or, wow. and her sanity. And many other dealing with anxiety issues, depression can feel such a, a healing aspect of creating something Mm. would you say that's a similar experience for yourself oh my god without a doubt if I
1: am not creating I feel lost and I, I feel very agitated and I don't sit well in that space and I have to teach myself to a little bit more just to be able to have stillness and let things process and digest it, but I'm never happier than when I'm creating. And that can manifest in so many forms. Like when I was on the radio, that for me is the ultimate creation because you sit in front of a microphone at 6.30am with not much sort of planning and you've got you know three hours to just create whatever you want to create and with other people bouncing off other people and the audience and text coming in and it's a beautiful moment of spontaneity and creation and then there's the much more sort of literal stuff like where I get to sit and draw designs for a couple of the brands I'm working with at the moment where I am just doodling and sort of channeling in that way um podcast wise I love creating how an interview might flow and where it might go to so I'm very very lucky that in the job that I've got today and it hasn't always been the case that I get to flex that muscle every day and it is healing all round you know if I'm feeling I'm having a shit day I'm feeling low I will just sit and draw If I have the time If my kids are at school and nursery Or doodle when they've Gone to bed at night Or brainstorm Another idea That that definitely Just balances me out And stops me going Down a rabbit hole Of despair So I feel really lucky That I have the space And time to to use That sort of Creative muscle Where I can But I also try And carve out time for it Because I know It's going to help me More than sitting And watching a shitty tv show or Mm -hmm. going Mm -hmm. out to the pub to get pissed
0: that Mm. does nothing for me at all Mm. and something i think people won't realize actually is that you're the boss Mm. as in you run your business and yes there is a team and there's hands on building but you're the founder Mm. and it's maybe one could be mistaken to think it's maybe done by others for you but you're the ceo of happy place you are now a businesswoman right how's that how's that felt that transition is that is it as you said liberating are you learning more skills than you've ever learned
1: before I am but again none of it's a chore and it feels more natural than anything I've ever done you know I, I didn't ever necessarily feel comfortable in that space of waiting for people to say please come and do this job that I think you're good enough to do can you say these words and this is how we'd like you to do it I can do it if I have to, but I feel much more natural in this space now where there's no faking it. There's no having to talk about things I don't care about. It's so much easier because everything I'm writing about, talking about or planning is stuff I genuinely give a shit about. Mm. And all the charity stuff that I'm doing alongside Mm. it marries perfectly with all the Mm. creative stuff that we're doing. So it all just fits and works well. And I feel really just happy being in that space. So, you know, the the only downsides are I never switch off ever. I find it, it incredibly difficult to sleep at night because my head is, I'm like an excited four-year-old before Christmas most nights, because the next day, what am I going to sound the radio? What am I going to do in this meeting? What am I going to draw? You know, it's, it, there's constant space to, you know, create new stuff. So I don't know how to switch off. But I know that I feel absolutely privileged to sit in a room with people quite often that I know are incredibly talented at each part of what they do. But nobody's doing it for me. Nobody's sat there going, right, this is how we're going to make the Happy Place Festival. This is what you're going to do on your podcast. I'm at home working Mm. all this stuff out and then using these brilliant people as a team to get to the end goal of whatever the project is and at the end of the day if it goes wrong it's egg on my face no one else is no one's going to mm. go oh my god that person that possibly works with fern could have done a better job to make the festival better yeah it'll be, it'll be fern's yours. festival was a flop or yeah. fern's festival hopefully was really beautiful and everyone mm. had a great time yeah. so i know how much is riding on it way more than ever before because if a tv show bombed You know, you'd feel a bit gutted for a while and then hopefully you would do another one. But this is stuff that I care about deeply and I want to work and I want everybody listening to the podcast, coming to the festival to get something out of it. And if that doesn't happen, I will feel, you know, a sense of failure and I will learn lots and try again. I'm not going to give up, but it is egg on my face. So I've got to be 100 percent on it all the time and I also do expect the same from everyone that I'm working with
0: but you're now you're a CEO you're a founder you're an entrepreneur you were yeah. a presenter you were a personality etc etc you still are all those things but that waking up at night it is non-stop and I'm yeah. sure you've had it always but almost maybe it's just changed into I another didn't have non- it before you know I sort of died. oh well then there you go. <laughs> I had it a bit like yeah. I had it a bit but I always knew I could get there and
1: you know, get through the job because I knew how to do it. Whereas this now, it's just the possibility for expansion feels endless at this point because I'm at the beginning stages of, this is like early, early, early days. And there's so many things that I want to do and so many things that I haven't even thought of yet that my brain is just having like a field day. It's nonstop party, party up there. So it's much more difficult to switch off, but I love it and I feel so much more empowered you know I used to have to sit in these meetings all the time with bosses of tv shows production companies channels and they would be like they they have 15 minutes to give me of their time they'd be like so what you've been up to recently and I'd go oh god uh just sort a bit stuff I can't really you've put me on the spot I don't know and I'm trying to prove myself to these people Although I've been working for over two decades and I don't have to do that anymore. If I do a TV show, amazing. I will love every minute and I'll give it my all. But if I don't, it doesn't matter. Because so I'm doing all this other stuff on my own it's you, it's your over new, here. It's your
0: new era. It it's is the birth bloody
1: of you and
0: well. lovely. Oh. Hello, I really hope you're enjoying listening to the wonderful Fern. She truly is building a life she loves and after a successful career like hers, it takes real courage to forge a new path in pursuit of happiness. It's my life's mission to inspire everyone to build a life they love. It's in fact why I started this very podcast because I passionately believe that the best way to learn is to share stories. And it's also why I put pen to paper to share my own insights and lessons in my book, Do What You Love, Love What You Do. Now a Sunday Times bestseller. It's a book that will empower you to turn your passion into profit. A colourful business book like no other. It even has its own product collection, a world first. Head to holly.co to get your signed copy and shop the collection. Changing subject. I know it's such an over... A used word now, but um, I still like it, authenticity. Mm. And it's one of the most important words actually for the next hundred years, mm. I'd say. Consumers are changing, especially uh, millennials, and they want to consume from brands that they can connect with and that are authentic. You've created your brand from being your authentic self and your Instagram is one of the most real accounts out there. I love your real life posts when your kids have the tantrums or mm-hmm. when you've woken up too early by them, or um, childcare nightmares, or when you've got a down day. So it's so refreshing when there's so many people out there that we look up to who don't share in that way. Has this been a conscious decision, and how have you navigated when you what you share on social media?
1: It's basically non-negotiable because if I'm when I made that switch by writing happy again unplanned, to being absolutely me, without being TV me or radio me, I had to see it through thoroughly in all areas. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. what's the point? So as soon as I'd made that switch, it felt so weird to go against that that I just now can't. So I might still post the odd pic of me wearing a nice frock if I've been invited to something like twice a year because I don't like going out and I like being at home. But the majority is just me being a mum at home, juggling work and a family life. And I want to share that. I want to connect with people in an authentic way. I've got no interest in just hundreds of people going, your dress is amazing, where's it from? Your hair looks great. what what use is that to anyone? You know, it's nice to look at those pictures and there's nothing wrong with it. There's still plenty of room for that on Instagram and it can be inspiring, like, oh, maybe I will try looking a bit like that or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I really made that decision after Happy because I didn't know if the book would connect with people. But after having great conversations with people on the street and receiving beautiful letters and emails from people it had depth and it and yeah. it was and I and my story was resonating with other people and in turn that made me feel better made me feel less alone and alienated with what I was going through so I want to do that as much as I can in every way and Instagram is brilliant for that you know it really is I, I think especially like a small example when your kids wake up at five and all of your friends seemingly have kids that sleep till seven you're like what am I doing wrong it's <laughs> me I'm a failure and you know there's something wrong with me and then you speak to another friend, like, for instance, I've got a mate Giles, and his kids always wake up really early, so I'll text him, and he'll go, oh, for fuck's sake, my kids wake up at half four today, what is going on? And we just both feel better about life, because we're both on the same page, we're both going By through By nine o'clock, you've same... done five hours. You've done five yeah. hours, you are over it, you want to eat your lunch at half nine, it's just like a nightmare, but you look at everyone else, and it seems like their oh. life is perfect, yeah. and their kids sleep, and they they've eat had kale. granola, they've had some of yet, fruit. loads of fruit and their kids have skipped off to school and they didn't stamp their feet and say I hate you everything was amazing and that (laughs) is bollocks because we know that everybody even when their lives look perfect
0: are going through stuff it might not be their kids getting up early but it will be something else but normally Instagram is the one percent isn't it it's 99 percent is Real, you know, close friends getting ill, yes. horrific days, money issues, worried about your children, and then you, this one percent that's posted out there, oh, yeah. and we all know it, a bit like the airbrushing of models, but we seem to just sort of don't know it as yeah. well, and so I think it's so important for accounts like yours that people look up to you, you know, uh, social media, you know, ties so much into our mental health, you know, both good and bad. And recently I posted about a particularly really shit day I had and received such an outpour of love. And for me, this is all very new because I've been in a glass box for 13 years, building a business, being um, a woman in double spanks and high heels with lots of men and proving myself and having to become alpha woman. So for me, the last few years, I feel like Elias Morissette which no one will remember but yeah you do but you know I love Alanis yeah, yeah Alanis and I can't even say it properly but you know I feel like my creativity and my openness has started to show through but it's very difficult for me because I've been I was from the other way I I had to not behave in a certain way but it's such this,
1: a shit thing.
0: But this is, we'll go on to this yeah. about women and business. But, you know, I got this outpouring of love and it really is wonderful to have this amazing community. But I know that more, the, there's a negative side as well. And you have so many followers, 2.7 million, in fact. How do you deal with that negativity of social media or bullies or naysayers? Because yeah. a lot of small businesses out there who are trying to make their way with their limited marketing budgets and they're out there on social media and then something happens, mm. they don't know. You know, it's, it can be really destroying for people's confidence. Oh,
1: massively. And confidence is a huge one. And although people might assume I'm brimming with the stuff, I'm really not. I'm really confident in what I would like to have a go at and what I enjoy in my work life. But there's so many areas of my life where I'm just not confident at all. And I'm really bad at asking for help. I'm really bad at setting boundaries because I want to make everyone feel happy and I want to please everyone. So there's loads of stuff where I've got zero confidence. So when someone is mean to, for instance, my brand, that is me, you know, Mm -hmm. that I am the brand. So Mm -hmm. it is sometimes devastating and I don't like it. I'm not hard as nails. Sometimes I'm not Um, I just think I'm not really able to deal with this job like maybe I'm not the sort of person that can do this job I'm not built for it there are loads of people that I know that are way more tough-skinned you know it's water for ducks back they can move on with their day I do not operate like that I take everything personally or I'll go through a process which I've been able to sort of look at more closely and intellectually understand so the process is First of all, see a comment that's negative about me and believe that person's right. The next bit is to get really angry and high horsey. Then I take a breath and I don't react. I mean, I have in the past, but I try not to. Then the next bit is feeling a bit sad and a bit shit. And then it's, oh my God, I get the realization bit. They're really unhappy. But I have to go through that whole process. I had it last week. Someone Instagrammed me and said, you're constantly putting all this stuff up about how bloody depressed you are. What do you know about life? And just went in on me. I'm mm. sick of celebrities talking about mental health. And I, first of all, I thought, oh, my God, who am I to talk about mental health? Maybe I should just stick to presenting. Then I went into anger. I'm going to tell him what's what. I'm going to tell him what I've, you know, experienced and tell me he ha- he's making assumptions and he hasn't got a clue about my life because he doesn't. Then I went into, oh, I really need to speak to Jesse. I wonder if I can get hold of him. Then I got to, oh, my God, this guy doesn't feel heard. He doesn't feel heard in his life. He mm. feels, he's like a child right now mm. who's trying to get attention because he isn't getting any. And then I started to feel empathy for him. But it literally took me about half an hour to go through this whole roller coaster mm. of emotions to... I actually feel bad for this guy. I'm not going to say anything to him. I'll let him think what he wants. I'm actually going to delete the post because I don't want that stuff out there. And I'm going to look at myself and how, how I can deal with things better. But it's still not easy. And this is not exclusively for people in the public eye. This is for, like you say, yeah. small
0: businesses and just individuals dealing with yeah. social media. Yeah, yeah. I think that's going to help so many people. And the fact that you're so honest about it, I just love that. And it really will help people because you're totally right. You have to go through that process and, and then almost you let go with love yeah, yeah, at yeah. the end of it. Because, because actually, why did they take that time to do that? what does that say about themselves? But as you said, you still have to go through through that whole whole thing. thing, And then another subject I'd love to touch on, something I really couldn't wait to talk to you about, and we've texted a couple of times about it, is the juggle we do. Mm. You run your business alongside being a mother of two and a stepmother of two. So there are six of you in the Wood household mm. at one point, which I can't quite believe because I have a issue just with Frank and Harry. <laughs> um, and I know your husband has to go on tour a lot. So you're a lot of solo parenting going on. My most frequently asked question as a businesswoman and mum is how do I achieve this work-life balance, which I think is this, I've talked about it quite a bit, this unbelievably dangerous term as it suggests that there's this perfect balance or this perfect equilibrium and often it's just making it through the day um what are your thoughts on this and I'm sure you get asked about it so how have you sort of mapped that in your mind now
1: Uh, I haven't, I'm very much like you It is day by day I don't feel like I've got the perfect balance I might on some days, some days I might go You know what, that felt like a really good balance Of I did two hours Or I did a couple of hours of radio And then had all day with my kids I did the normal school run stuff We went to the supermarket, we did normal things Other days I'll work all day And I won't see the kids And I'll feel horrendous Or sometimes I'll feel actually I can deal with it and it's okay But it's very much a day-by-day thing. The most important thing is Jesse and I have a brilliant uh, communicative relationship where... We sit down and we try and eat together each night or at least just have a conversation where we check in with each other. First of all, how are you? You know, how did you find whatever it was that you did that day? Are you feeling tired? Do you need some time to yourself to go for a run or whatever? And what fuck are we doing tomorrow and how's it going to work? And we do it every day because we have to. And we just muddle through the whole thing. And I love, love being a parent. It's so hard it's so hard being a parent sometimes I think, can I even do this? But it's brilliant. I love it. I love the challenge. I love what it's taught me about myself. And I've loved how it's made me slow down. And it's actually made me have a better perspective of my work and a, a better all seeing eye of all of it. I can get that bigger picture quicker. So, I don't know how you get the balance. I just think you go day by day and you try and make it work. And so
0: do you think one of the sort of ways that you would say that you've, as much as you are managing it, communication being Mm. one of the key tips? With with, with whoever it is, because if you haven't got a
1: husband or a wife or a partner, having someone that you can, if it's a parent, a friend, that you can have that conversation with, I think just talking in general is such a powerful thing and it's, It's really important to feel like you're not getting it all wrong and everyone else is getting it right. And not to beat yourself up because, you know, I do all the time. I'll, you know, might have, I've got a really busy week next week, which I'm already feeling a little bit edgy about. So I know that there will be days where I'll think, oh, my God, I'm a terrible mum. I haven't seen my kids today, blah, blah, blah. But then I've been lucky enough to manage to clear a whole week the week after where I'm going to be at home with my children off school because it's the summer holidays all day every day and we're going to do normal mum and kid stuff and Mm. go to the park and be messy and do and make cakes and whatever but none of it's perfect I think you just have
0: to make the best of whatever your situation is in that way I was 28 when I found um not on the high street and I had my three-month-old Harry strapped to me and my most uh debilitating experience being a female founder and a new mother was the guilt i used oh, to feel yes, yes. especially when i would have to hand him over to childcare, and i missed his first steps i missed his first words i feel very erin brockovich about it mm. you know it's that thing that that's the sacrifice. I only had one child. So these are big things that you miss. And the guilt was almost out of control at yeah, some point. Yeah. But something I've learned on my own business journey is actually how much you give a child that has been brought up with a parent who's building something or working so hard. You give them the examples, the hard work ethic, that inspiration. And I know I've given my son Harry this. He's actually just started his own little business now called Sugar Boy. No. As he just believes everyone basically runs a business. So that for him wasn't not normal. And I remember he even asked me when he was four and he said, "Um, Bubba, can men run a business too? Yes. He'd only seen women running them. And I thought men men can't, and only women. And I thought, God, that's a big moment for feminism, just there. Heavenly, heavenly. And I always like to share that story as I'm out on the other side, you know, he's 14. And I know so many parents suffer from this guilt, especially women, and it's such a huge, useless emotion to Mm. suffer from. Um, And it didn't get me anywhere. You're this busy woman, you suffer from this too yes. and, and you must know other people that suffer from it. What, what do you all feel and do you think the times are turning where we can, you know, almost talk openly about just trying to help our almost younger selves, like stop feeling this way mm. because if you're not bringing up these kids while looking at this work ethic...
1: Who is? I know. I don't know know what the answer is because I don't feel I'm out the other end of it by any means. You know, I still get struck down with that feeling all the time. You know, like you say, it, it can be quite extreme. So I don't know personally at the moment how to fix that one apart from just try and keep finding days where I am just in mum mode that feel like they balance it out which I know it doesn't work like that but in my head I feel like okay I've had one day at home so then tomorrow if I'm at work all day that doesn't feel as bad and I know that doesn't equal up to anything but it kind of works for me but the one thing I will do which I'm glad that you've just told your story because they're the sorts of examples that I certainly need to hear that you and i've got loads of friends that you know like i've got a friend who's a yoga teacher and she runs loads of retreats and she has to leave her two daughters quite regularly but they are they came to my house the weekend and they're the most mature and confident and just bright girls ever who get what their mum does and why and they're massively independent and they do loads of stuff on their own and I was just impressed. I thought, mm. wow, this has been mm. hugely beneficial to their growth. And hearing your story equally. And with my own kids, like I'll, e- I'll even say to Honey now, my main thing has been honesty along the way. So... I say to Honey, who's just about turning four this summer, and I'll say, right, mummy's going to work today. I know that you would prefer I didn't, but I'm going so I can earn money so that we can go to the supermarket together tomorrow and buy all of your favourite treats and your strawberries that you want. And then we can buy some new T-shirts with the little sequin cats on that you like. And and, and she knows that that's where I go. And I come back mm-hmm. and we have money to be able to buy food possibly go on holiday because that's something they love in the summer to be able to go to a nice beach and that I'm honest about it rather than oh god I feel really
0: bad I'm going guys by and sneaking out the door yeah I try and sit down and tell them how it is yeah. I used to say to myself something I learned was quality over quantity You know, there's a lot of people that can be at home and not happy. And actually the kids feel that, you know, and it's not just happy wife, happy life, you know, happy mum. And that's so important. So, you know, during my building, Not in The High Street, I'd see Harry for 20 minutes a day. Always would put him to bed, always. But that was for his whole, you know, zero to... Ten, mm. You know, so it was a long decade where I didn't play, I didn't do these things. But when I did see him, I made that you know, very special time. And we would work together, we do things that we could do together, we have an office, um, my home office, and he's got his bedroom, which is Harry's office. So, you know, we have that thing. And that's what we built together, we Mm. had to find our own way around it. So it is about quality, not quantity, necessarily, because that's what the memories are created from. Yeah,
1: and I think we've got to remember also that we're here to guide our children, not to do every single thing with them always. I mean, you can if you want. There's there's no there's mm. no you know Wrong or right. I'm not saying that's, yeah, there's there's a wrong or right, but I think we're here to guide them in life and you can do that in so many ways. By example, not always by, this is what you've got to do, mummy's going to show you how. It can be, like I said about my dad at the start of this chat, I've watched him do something he loves. I don't remember him necessarily playing with me loads as a kid. Mm. He was the most brilliant dad and he's like the kindest man you've ever met in your life. And I look up to him in that way. You know, all of his hard work... Didn't sort of dilute my feelings towards him mm. or how I saw him mm. as a father. It's it's kind of helped me channel my passions mm. more than mm. anything. And just seeing my mum work incredibly hard, really just for us to sort of survive as a family, again instilled something else in me. So, and also I think parenting's really different these days. Like, I don't think parents used to play with their kids. You know, back when I was growing up, my parents were never like, let's make a pretend shop. And they were too busy bloody cleaning oh the house and cooking. Never. And sorting out the garage. Yeah. I would go and do Fantasyland on my own yeah. in the garden where my Barbies would go off on adventures and I had the best time ever. Absolutely. Whereas now there's all this pressure that you've got to, oh my God, what you haven't done imaginary theatre with your kids or built them yeah. a den in the garden. or It's all this guilt about you haven't done all this stuff, whereas... I feel really lucky that I had so much freedom as a kid. I'd go off in the garden on my own for hours, and my parents didn't even know where I was half the time. Whereas we're these days guilted out that we're not doing like
0: every club and activity, and and, you know, you're not ticking off all these things. I think we've got too much sorry to say but time and thoughts in our head because actually if you think about it where our parents our grandparents they come out of war yes right you know if you got to the beach once a year this was heaven yeah, this yeah, was great yeah. now it's about have you not done imaginary theater with your children I yeah. mean it's it's gone to the to sort insane. of these insane it's, things where we're insane. yeah and so talking about women something we talk a lot at Holly and Co about is our mission to help more women start businesses um, and there's these crazy stats that I talk about all the time 150,000 businesses between men and women starting up a year wow. and if women started those businesses it would pump 250 billion in four years into the economy oh. So it is really a necessity that women start more businesses. Entrepreneurs of all small businesses are most likely, though, to experience this imposter syndrome um, that other professions don't because they're personally accountable for their failures, like you were just saying about yourself. And the employees aren't. You know, if you're an employee, you're not so much. Is this It's something I really want to sort of out and help women overcome. And I talk about this imposter syndrome a lot and I've definitely experienced it. Have you experienced imposter syndrome and how have you dealt with it and not allowed it for you to be held back by it?
1: Yeah, I have. I mean, probably less so in the last few years because... Again, I'm just being me. So I'm not pretending to be anything. I'm just telling my story and seeing if people connect with it. So if I don't have that connection and people... And, you know, the reaction isn't what I'd imagined, no biggie. It's still me telling my story and me being me. And I think previously where I'm chosen for a role, I would absolutely have it every time. You know, when you're stood... Uh, the Oscars on the red carpet about to interview people and you've got Ryan Seacrest next to you or whatever you're like why am I here maybe they think I'm awful at this and I shouldn't be here and maybe the celebrity I'm interviewing thinks my questions are shit and absolutely I've had it or if you stand on set and you've got 10 cameramen stood in front of you pointing cameras at you and a director in your ear and you're thinking they'll probably think I'm useless they'll probably think emma willis would have been better she probably would have been to be fair Um, (laughs) or whatever you know it's that's where imposter syndrome was omnipresent i would feel it all the time and the only way i can really negate all of that panic is to say like little weird mantras in my head so i had it even the other day i went on a tv show as a panelist And I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to be funny. This is going to be horrific. They were all really comfortable here and I'm not. And they were all men. So I felt already slightly sort of separate in that way. And I just do a little thing in my head like, you know, you are enough. You are enough. Or I'm strong in the power of spirit or whatever it is. It's like a little thing that takes me away from all the crazy, you know, the bombardment of thoughts and just lets me believe that. I am okay, and whatever happens, happens, and I will either learn from it or enjoy it, so
0: just have to let go a little bit, which is hard. It's, you know, it's so sharing tips, what people do to try and get out of it. Because I think we can talk a lot about it, but it's like the, but what do I do? What do I do do with that bit? Because I think, you know, again, we can use words like imposter syndrome over and over and over again. But actually that's the thing holding back these 150,000 women not starting up a business. So just those sort of practical tips on... Yeah, or mantras, or even just, you know...
1: Thinking, what's the worst case scenario here? And it's, you know, the panic is always detached from an outcome. It's just like a free floating panic. So if you thought, right, what's the worst that could happen? I'm on a panel show. No one laughs at anything I say. I feel a bit alienated. I'll still go home to my lovely family at the end of the day and have a cup of tea and have a cup of tea and go to bed. You know, it's. Mm. Unless you are saving lives, because there are lots of people out there that do have jobs that are incredibly stressful because they are dealing with life and death. Unless you are in one of those positions, you can usually sort out, you know, problem solve, find a solution or deal with, because I've made loads of mistakes, millions, and I've had loads of things that have not gone to plan. So you still have to then work out, not a solution, but how to have an acceptance around it to then help you not feel overwhelmed by failure and guilt or whatever. So I think it's looking at, yeah, very pragmatic ways of dealing with that
0: you are a fan of small businesses because I know this because Huge you um, follow you on Instagram and you're always so excited when I see your children wearing something from Not in The High Street or a small business such as Fred and Noah leggings mm, or your beautiful them. denim and bone jacket yes. which we both have or your delicious monster Tee t-shirts. What is it that you love about creative small businesses?
1: I love that someone has put absolute thought love and passion behind something and i can tell with all of those smaller brands that i love that it's come from that place it's not come from a place of i need to be the biggest company i need to make loads of money it's come from someone really giving a shit and there are, and also i just want to i want to support them because i can see there's that hunger there and i've felt like that so many times in my career a real hunger and a passion and people that just enjoy what they're doing and you can see it in the products. You can see it and they usually slightly more thoughtful around how they make things and where they're getting stuff from the sustainability around their products. So I'm really, um, I want to champion and support people like that and give them, I've got this lovely platform. There's no point me using it to promote people that already have a platform. I'd like to, Mm. even if it's on the podcast, talk to people that don't have a platform Mm. or, you know, show products, where people might need a little bit of
0: a boost up. That's a lovely
1: thing to be able to do.
0: And lastly, I always talk to my guests about their future and what they think of the future. What do you think's there for you?
1: What I hope is that I get to keep creating um, on this level because this is the thing that's making me feel so alive at the moment is having the opportunity to continuously create. So if I can keep doing that and keep feeling excited... I don't want to plan too much because I haven't planned much of this. It's just organically evolved. I just want to be able to keep creating and to stay open enough and um, also confident enough because the element of confidence has to come into the work arena to keep trying new things because I'm no expert in wellness. I'm not you know, the best festival organiser, I'm not the best radio broadcaster, I'm not the best at anything I do, but I give all of it a go. And that requires a bit of resilience because you will get knocked down again and again. And it requires a bit of letting go and just the willingness to keep trying and keeps getting up off, you know, your bum when you've been knocked down and trying again. So as long as I get to keep expanding what I'm doing in that way, then I'm very happy and will feel even more empowered down the line, hopefully.
0: And something I ask all my guests is that I use the analogy of a roller coaster, one that makes you feel super sick and one that makes you feel so exhilarated at the top with the wind in your hair. Tell me what you would say one of your biggest lows has been on oh, my journey. God. I
1: mean, I have had so many in my life and in my career. But I'd say in my career specifically, I've definitely had periods where I've had a lot of abuse from people that I don't believe was warranted. You know, I've never set out on any project to cause any harm to anyone. I'm not a person that wants to spread salacious gossip, bring people down, attack others... I've never done that. Even when I wasn't working in this capacity, I was doing fun TV shows where I just wanted to have fun and for people to have fun. And I think when you are a young woman and you're growing up and you've got predominantly male journalists being personally very cruel, it can be when you're not feeling great about yourself, incredibly damaging. And I've been through that in extreme episodes where I felt like everybody was talking about me in a negative way and everybody had it in for me and everybody had the wrong idea about me. So you're sat there at home alone thinking, I know what I stand for. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm about. I know what I am as a person and I'm so much more than any of the things that you think I am. And I'm much more capable than what you think I am. And when you do kids TV, you're sort of, you know, kept at this young age for such a long time where everyone thinks that you're a bit goofy for way longer than you kind of are and and that you're not a, you're not an adult, an adult and you're yeah. like uh I run a family home and I I'm running a well I'm running a business right now but this is I don't have it so yeah. much these days but certainly in my 20s it was like I'm a grown ass woman don't talk to me like I'm a fucking child so I've had real big lows where I have been so tempted to just jack it all in and just think, you know what, this is not worth it because I feel personally so damaged by what others are saying. You know, I'm a lot further down the line now. It will still hurt, but it's not going to stop me. There's absolutely no way. And if people slag off what I'm doing now, you know, they just don't like it. I know what I'm doing Mm. is something I'm passionate about. And before I was always doing other people's things. So.
0: You've I had felt, so much personal growth though, haven't you? Oh now? my god. I so mean maybe it's that making resilient, of me in yeah, ways. It really yeah. has. And
1: I think, you know, we all need to have those moments to get resilient. Otherwise, mm. you won't have that sort of strength and and also empathy for other people. It's so important. Um and so I, have I think age so is quite a
0: beautiful thing. Oh, it's the best. It is it so is that we talk best. about age, don't we? And there's such a negative thing. I'm like, yeah. Bring on the years. Bring on the years. We can be younger than ever at 40, 50, 60 but actually you're wisdom. so much stronger the wisdom knowing who you are knowing who others are going yeah. oh i know this character Absolutely. i know i know what they do and almost being able to handle those things so yeah. it's and tell me on the other side with the winds in your hair and you are on that top of the roller coaster what what moment i know you surely you have had so many would you yeah. say it's been a great loads
1: i mean in my personal life it's obviously
0: you know having children was
1: just like wow euphoric um but in my career, I've had some really lovely ones and they, some of them have been small but really big moments for me. There's been some lovely ones like being able to do a lot of work for comic relief and children need where mm. I've got to do exceptional things like climb Kilimanjaro and help raise a million pounds and then go and personally hand out malaria nets to people in villages and to have that full you know that Full rounded circle. process was exceptional, and I felt so lucky
0: to be able to do that. Well, thank you, Fern. What happiness, positivity, and inspiration you've brought to my home today, and shared with everybody. I know my it must be a bit of a heavy burden to be described as a role model, but you really are, especially to the young women um, in my life and to anyone I spoke to that I was interviewing. There is such, it makes me teary saying it, there's such love for you. And I just, I really just, you've built a career from being exactly who you are, which is even more impressive, um, in the celebrity world that you've lived in. And somehow you've navigated this, but you're helping so many others through depression and difficult times. And I know this podcast is going to help so many people. And I really, truly believe that you are, just at the beginning of blooming. I think that businesses in the future, I said this to you before, are through people like yourself. We don't know where all the models are going to come and all the revenue streams and all those things, but the purity of what you want to give people is so epically obvious to me. And yeah, you just made me teary just looking at your smile. Well,
1: thank you, because honestly, since I met you the other week, it's been so encouraging to see someone that I certainly look up into the business arena see that I'm on a good path and that I'm doing something that is connecting. So yeah, I just... I want to keep on going and see what I, I can achieve and 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 rinse you for advice, essentially. Well, I'm your biggest
0: I'm your I'm your cheerleader. We've got to get that walk in. We've got to do a walk our bloody I diary. Can't wait. I can't. wait. Right, that's it. The walk is coming. It's but happening. it's at this time of the podcast where I ask my guests to have written a letter to their younger self, offering up any advice and wisdom or support. And I don't know what you're about to say. Um I don't read them beforehand, and it's my greatest pleasure hearing them so fern thank you for sharing a piece of your soul with us today pleasure over to you so i've
1: i've written this by hand because i write everything by hand apart from my books but podcast everything i do it all by hand my handwriting is absolutely shocking right here we go okay dear young fern now I think I'm supposed to be writing to you to give you sage advice as I'm now a grown-up who is supposed to know everything. But I actually look at you and see mostly just freedom. I see someone who cared much less about what others thought of her than the 37-year-old holding the pen today. I see someone who is wildly optimistic and such a big dreamer. Luckily, I am still a big dreamer, but often the worry and panic mitigates the hope. You are pure hope. That doesn't mean it always worked out for you, but you certainly hold on to that pure, unadulterated excitement throughout. I need to get that back. You see the world as a huge place full of extraordinary opportunity and positivity, you're yet to experience the darker side of life, and that is absolutely fine. I love your optimism. It's so much better to be optimistic and things go wrong than to be pessimistic and still have things go wrong. Some won't take to your energy and full throttle approach to life, but don't worry about that. Don't let others' pain and anger dull your light you know what? I have to say well done to you for giving everything a go. If you hadn't gone to that Disney Club audition with your nan Sylvia that grey morning, I wouldn't be doing all the great things I'm doing now. I could look back at you in purple corduroy flares, buffalo boots and a greasy fringe and a round face and feel embarrassed, but I really don't. I love that you didn't even know what cool was. You just went with what felt right and I'm proud of you for that. You experienced some luck on that day, at that audition, but you paired it with hard work and tenacity that allowed you to stay doing the job that I love so much today. You took rejection on the chin so much better than I do today. You had such confidence in what you believed you could achieve, yet approached those situations with kindness and gratitude. These days, I can feel flawed if I'm rejected, but you always held your head high. I should really look back at you more often and remember that resilience. You're definitely naive, but that's really just an extension of your optimism. You see the good in everyone and often to your detriment. You've let others manipulate you over the years and it's a lesson that I am still definitely learning today. You really believed everyone else was always right and you were wrong, but I'm just figuring all that out now. It's a tough one when you so desperately want to continue being optimistic. Some will see this quality as a weakness and use it to get what they want. But don't worry, in the long run, it rarely works out for those people. You're already used to being judged by others because you started work at such a young age. I'm so thankful that social media was yet to be invented as you came out of those years unscathed because you didn't really have an insight or access to everyone's thoughts. You may have heard the odd whisper or read the odd nasty comment written by an archaic, misogynistic and unhappy male journalist. But once again, you managed to stay resilient. So well done. As the years pass, this exposure and judgment will feel magnified. But just keep focusing on what you love doing and know that opinions of you, good or bad, really are none of your business. There will be a seminal moment later down the line where you will feel able to just be you rather than the TV you or the bit you think others will approve of. It will be so liberating and make you connect with so many people. It's a long way off, so just enjoy all the craziness, the travel and the roller coaster beforehand. There is one definite I must warn you of. You will make mistakes, loads of them. And that is fine. Actually, it's great as it's where all the learning is done. Just remember, so is everyone else. It may feel like everyone is nailing life, but all humans without exception are making tons of mistakes. Another warning. You are unfortunately not going to marry Taylor Hansen. I know, I know it is really very sad indeed. And I know it's part of the plan but a great man is en route later down the line. But on a side note, you're going to meet Hanson a few times and on one occasion, your mate Greg James from Radio 1 will arrange for them to sing Umbop a cappella to you backstage at one of their gigs. I know, it's a major moment, right? It's going to be good. The great man you'll meet after a lot of unavoidable heartache is going to change your life and also give you children and stepchildren lucky. They're all incredible humans who will teach you so much about life and love. It will be overwhelming at times in every way possible, but you'll feel more alive than ever. I don't want to tell you too much more as you need to head off on this adventure with as much mystery involved as possible. Put your belt on, it's going to be one hell of a ride, but you've got this. Be you, don't take shit from anyone, and shine.
0: <laughs> it's so good. Uh, one of the things I just think when hearing, wh- along with the tears um, streaming, is <coughs> that um, so much of what you've been through is going to prepare you so brilliantly for this journey that you're about to go on Mm. it's like you've got your armory you've got your wall scars you've already done that you've done a whole life a whole chapter and experience and you can take all of that, which you need as resilience in business. And you're going to plough it in there, but with a tougher skin so that you can focus on bringing the beauty that you're going to. And maybe that's going to mean that you're the one who succeeds in doing that, because you've approached it in such a unique and different way. Mm. And as I said, I'm just there for you. Big, big cheerleader for you. And just, yeah, I can't wait to see what what you do what oh, you create thank created. you it
1: means a lot and i i really appreciate all your wisdom on the matter and and all your support it's um it's just lovely oh, thank you so, lovely. so much thank Hallie. you
0: fan thank you If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it on whichever platform you've listened. I'd love it if you could spread the word by sharing this episode across your own social channels, empowering even more people to build a life they love.